0: Hello and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message.
1: You have your Bibles there, I would like you to turn to the gospel or to the book, rather, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10. particular passage that we're going to read, you will recognize, using the subject, the walls came tumbling down, and you might think in terms of this particular title, coming from uh, the Old Testament, when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, as the Jewish people under Joshua surrounded the city and marched around it and then rushed at the walls and shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. But I'm not talking this morning about physical walls, but some other types of walls that that actually need to come down and were demonstrated here in the life of Peter and Cornelius, Cornelius had uh, sent for Peter to come, and we're at that point when Peter has come into his house at verse 25 of Acts chapter 10. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter stood him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore for what intent ye had sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting unto this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send, therefore, to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter, He is lodged in the house of one Simon the tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God, to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of the truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he hath uh, feared him. I beg your pardon, let me read that over. But in every nation he that feareth him, and worketh righteousness is accepted unto him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word... I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healed all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. We are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sin. When Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word And they of the circumcision, that is of the Jews, which believed, were astonished, as many as came unto Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Our Father, we pray your blessing now upon your written word. That as we speak, the power of your spirit would be upon me that I might impart your truth to this congregation. And that hearts, Lord, in this Assembly this morning would be open and receptive and yielding to the power of your spirit. We pray through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. I might have titled the message this morning, Things That Separate Men Are Broken Down. Could have been just as good a title. It is not, as you recognize, the story of the falling of the walls of Jericho. But it deals with the tearing down or the breaking of things that keep people separated. And as a consequence, keeps even people separated from God. Here it is, a short while after the ascension of Christ, and he has charged his church to preach the word, that those believers who were basically Jewish still felt that the gospel was only to be preached to their own kind and had not considered yet that the gospel was to be preached to all men all over the entire world. They hadn't learned the message that we now, I hope, have learned, and that is whosoever will may come, but they thought it was only for a select nationality. The question is, how is the church going to achieve the commission that the Lord gave it if it does not understand that its mission is not just within its own walls? but its mission is to reach to the uttermost parts of the earth. I hope that we have understood that as we have given our missionary offering this morning to this particular purpose. But there are all kinds of things that separate people from people, and therefore the gospel does not get uh, spread as it ought to. Let's talk just about a few of the barriers that keeps us separated before I get to the the real meat of the message this morning. One of the things that separates people is sex. We're male and we're female. Everybody understands that. But we think that that separation is still in, in existence as far as even in the church is concerned. And people will go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and point out that women are to keep quiet in church. Now, if we practice that, more than half my congregation would never get to say anything. Nor teach, nor stand behind this pulpit, nor probably even sing in the choir, because Paul apparently is saying, you women keep quiet, this is a men's world. Is that really what he said? if it is what he said, then we have a conflict with Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost when the people came rushing to see all of this group of people, 120 of them, including both men and women, who were out on the streets preaching. All of them were. And the people came rushing and said, what is this, what do we mean by this, what, what is this supposed to mean? We're hearing... These people preach and teach the wonderful words of God in our own language. And finally Peter got up and said, well, after they had been accused of being drunk, he got up and said, now listen, you people of Jerusalem, these people are not drunk. But what you are witnessing was testified of the prophet Joel. And he goes back and quotes the prophet Joel. And part of that says... That this is the, the coming into being of that prophecy, the beginning of that prophecy, when Joel said, your sons and your daughters shall preach. Now we've got a problem, unless we can reinterpret it. chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. You see, the thing that separates us is that we don't quite spend our time studying the scriptures, not to fully comprehend really what the scriptures have them to say. What Paul was talking about was something entirely different. Because until that point in time, women had been kept out of the church and silent and could only get so far into the temple, and, and they did not participate actively in all the worship things. That was a manuscript operation. So here they were, coming now into a new organization and spending a lot of, making a lot of confusion, and that's really what Paul was talking about in chapter 14 is confusion, when he finally said, if you women want to learn anything, wait to you get home and ask your husband, because he's supposed to be more intelligent along these lines than you are. Now I'm freely interpreting that, you can understand, because those words aren't exactly there. But all through the years, we have kept women separated and made them second-class citizens. When it comes to pay in the marketplace, they, generally speaking, have lesser-paying jobs than men. Their positions in the world, there are few women who are in charge of great corporations and so on, because that has been thought to be a man's world, and and women don't have the mental capacity to grasp those things, and we're beginning to learn that that isn't true but we have still kept that within the church that we want to separate between what men can do and what women can do in the church. Uh, by the way, in our society today, there are more women preachers coming into being all the time. That This is escalating. Uh, one of the reasons is that there are few men who want to be preachers. There is a tremendous shortage of qualified people for the pulpit, and women have been stepping in, and we have many ordained women today on the pulpit. So we've got to understand that some things that separate is the sex barriers or other things that separate, which is the economic barriers. You see the rich look down upon the poor, and the poor look at this at the rich. If you have money, you can be expected to be not liked very well by people who don't have any. And if you don't have any money, you can expect that those who have it to sort of look sideways at you and think that you're less than... Uh, somebody who ought to be in society. The rich are envied by the poor, and the poor are looked on with contempt. And uh, The same thing is true when it comes to the economic barriers that, that separate people. An educated preacher is thought to be nearly an infidel by the uneducated preachers in his world. And I've gone through some of those situations. An educated preacher is looked upon as one who is liberal. An uneducated preacher is down to the earth doctored off. so he says. Although he may not possibly be capable of comprehending what God has said because his uh, educational capabilities have not brought him to that place, nevertheless, he sees himself as God's called and the educated ministers of this world as less than, well, nearly heathen. That's simply educational differences. Because the uneducated look upon the educated as highfalutin. The educated look upon the educated as imbeciles, ignorant, unlearned. And so we keep people separated. Another separation along this line is What scriptures do we use? I've had people tell me the only Bible that you can read from is the King James Version, which I read from this morning. If that is the only translation that is legal, I would like to ask those people, what did they use for God's Word before 1611 when this was written? Between the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in the year 1611, what did they use for a Bible? God's Word. If this is the only one, there is. Ever has been and ever will be. Did Jesus quote from the King James Version? Certainly not. It wasn't even heard up to 1611. Well, Clarence mentioned this morning in Sunday school class, and I have it in my notes to comment on this morning, that... There are some preachers who think that they are not supposed to study, that they're supposed to get into the pulpit, and God is going to fill their mouth full of things to say. And Clarence said it well this morning, yes, he will, he'll give them a lot of hot air. And that is basically true. There are those who believe, and I have a good friend of mine who said, I never know what I'm going to say until I get into the pulpit, and I say, brother, you're not going to say too much, then if that's the case, then anybody needs to listen to you. Because there certainly is the admonition in the scripture that a person be responsible for that which he speaks and know what he's speaking of, which means he must study. And study the scripture certainly well. There are those who are separated by the fact that they say, I believe the Bible ought to be interpreted literally all the way through. Well, now let's set up a situation. There are those who say that the Scripture said, pick you out seven men of good report and make them deacons, and that's what the Scripture does say. And they say, therefore, there's supposed to be only seven men as deacons in a church. you got to have seven. I sat in the North Parkersburg Baptist Church recently that has congregations that, that uh, number 1,400 Do you realize how long it would take seven men to serve communion to those 14 people? It would be a day-long exercise. So it sounds a little bit futile. On the other hand, I passed the church, only had two men in it. One of them wasn't a Christian. How was I going to get seven men of good report when there was only one good reported man in the congregation? I believe we ought to interpret it literally. Well, if you do, those of you who believe that every... I'm not saying that the Bible should not be interpreted literally. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying that there are some things in here that do not have that kind of application today. If you believe that every word of the Scripture ought to be interpreted literally, tomorrow morning will be set up for you to go and sell everything you have and bring it and give it to the church, and we'll redistribute it back to you according to your need. Because that's what they did in the early church. Does that mean it's supposed to work that way today? You see, we take God's word and make it what we want it to say without regard to his intent in many cases. And it separates us Why from each other. There are cultural barriers, and this is the biggest barrier that separates people, probably, even inside the church. It's not really our doctrine that separates us. It's our mode of dress, our manner of recreation, whether or not we do or do not eat inside the church building. There are those groups of people who will not eat in the church because. They refer to that passage of Scripture in in 1 Corinthians again in the 11th chapter when Paul said, if you're hungry, eat at home before you come and don't comprehend the total passage that he was dealing with. He was dealing with the abuse of the Lord's Supper when people were coming and gorging themselves on the wine and the bread that had been prepared for the Lord's Supper and making a mockery out of the Lord's Supper. And he was saying to those people in chapter 11, if you're going to act this way, eat at home. Don't come and expect to fill your stomachs on the elements of the Lord's Supper. But that's taken out of context, and there are those that say, we shouldn't eat in the church. Listen, the early church not only ate together, they slept together. They had all things in common and stayed as a united body for a period of time. But these things separate us. Well, how is it going to be then that men are going to come together in the gospel when when they spend their time dealing with issues that are side issues? And don't deal with the problem of how do you get the gospel to the people who need it and win them to Jesus Christ. And isn't that what we're about? Isn't that our purpose? Well, Peter had the same problem. Now let's set up the situation here in the scripture. The problem was, there was a man by the name of Cornelius, 30 miles down the road in a town called Caesarea. Caesarea the town of Caesar. Thirty miles up to Joppa, there was a man called Simon Peter living in the house of a tanner who was God's man. Cornelius was a very devout believer in God. He was a Roman citizen. He was an Italian in some circles you don't speak to italians in some circles you don't speak to black people in some circles you don't speak to slanted eyed people in some circles you don't speak to the american indian in some circles you don't speak to the irish because they're the heathen of this world undeserving of salvation that's been the history down through the world to select a group of people and say They are to be disdained, put aside, well, nothing else, the Italians in some circles the right way. He is a Roman military man. He believes uh, in the culture of the Greeks. He was a very cultured man. He would go to the art galleries and to the symphonies and all of those things. He lived in a Roman city. He was a wealthy man. He was a leader he was very influential but there was something wrong he didn't know what it was he prayed to God that God would reveal to him what was the matter what was lacking there are lots of people who are lacking know they're lacking don't know how to find it. Thirty miles down the road was a the name Peter, a Jew, hated by many peoples of the world, a fisherman, stinking fisherman, whose body odor would reek of the fish that he would catch. Uneducated, never been to school, but he was a Christian. How do you get these two poles apart come together? That's the problem. Well God is at work in their lives and he's at work in our lives. Let me tell you, if you're ignorant or if you don't know and want to know, if you're unsettled, if you have a problem God will listen. That's what he did with Cornelius. He heard him. He expressed this need, this vacuum in his life. And God gave him two things. Number one, he gave him recognition. He heard his prayer. And secondly, he gave him some instruction. And he didn't simply say, Now, Cornelius, here's what you need to do and list all the things you need to do. He said, I want you to send some men to Joppa, and you get a man by the name of Simon Peter who's staying in, in the tanner's house there, and he will tell you. So the man does exactly that. But Peter's got a problem. He doesn't believe the gospel ought to go to the Gentiles. He's up on the rooftop waiting for lunch to be served, and he falls asleep, and he has a vision. And the vision is one of a sheet. And on that sheet are all kinds of animals, clean and unclean, according to Jewish tradition. The Jew only ate the animals that were clean. That is, the cloven hoof that chewed were good. That's why a cow a Jew could eat because it had a cloven hoof and shoot its could. They would not eat a hawk because it had a cloven hoof but didn't shoot its could. They couldn't eat a horse uh, because it it had the solid hoof and so on it would go. Now, this man does not believe that the gospel ought to go over there 30 miles to that Roman soldier. Here's God's man who has a blind spot. know, this is the thing that separates people of blind spots. So dyed in the wool, so hard, so determined on a given issue that there is nobody that's going to convince them that there's another possibility. Never. I heard a discussion recently of two preachers who disagreed. And the one preacher finally said to the other, it's all right, you can disagree with me, but when we get to heaven, One of the things you're going to have to do is apologize to me for being wrong. Well, we are so stubborn that we think that there is not another possibility under heaven. No way could I be wrong. I'm a Peter. I believe firmly in God. I have believed firmly in Jesus Christ. I believe in his church, but the gospel is not going to go over there. Blind spots supported by stubbornness. Never think that there's another way of doing it. We always have done it this way. We should never make a change. If you were going to some churches, this pulpit is way over here. And the first thing that would go through my mind and maybe yours is it's in the wrong place. It ought to be in the middle. Because it's always been in the middle in every church I belong to. You can't preach from over on the side. That's getting high and gluten. I'm just a poor old ignorant Peter. I've got to go to the middle. Isn't it ridiculous? Never considering the possibility that God wants to use us to get the gospel to people who haven't heard it and it's not going to get there because we've got a whole bunch of artificial prejudices put up in front of us that we can't get over that barrier. What makes the difference where the pulpit is? And as in one church that I was in, it didn't have the baptistry behind it. Was, I was a pastor of the church. There was a wall back there. And it was always interesting to see what picture was hanging there on Sunday morning because there were two women, each one of a different picture hung up there. So during the week, the, the pictures was the head of Solomon and, uh, and Christ knocking at the door. Those were the two pictures. And so Sunday morning, there would be the head of Solomon hanging up there. Nobody said a word. Next Sunday morning, it would be Christ knocking at the door hanging up there. Because during the week, the other lady would come in and switch the pictures. So we spend our time in, in, in things of this nature as to whether we ought to Uh, wear suits into the pulpit, whether we ought to eat in the church, whether we ought to preach from the side of the the sanctuary, whether we ought to meet at 11 o'clock and quit exactly at 12, and all of these things, when our purpose is to present the gospel to people who want to hear it, regardless of all of these things. Yet we're caught up in them. Finally, Peter had an enlightenment because God let down this this sheet and a voice said to Peter, Peter, rise, kill and eat. And Peter said, not me. I have never eaten anything unclean and I'm not going to start now. I have never preached from the side and I'm not going to start now. I have never eaten in the church and I'm not going to start now. I've never prayed and been in any way except on my knees and I'm not going to change now. I've always parted my hair on the left and that's the way it's going to stay. But Paul said, whatever it takes, for me to get the gospel to people who want to hear it, that I'll do. And if everybody in this church felt that I ought to part my hair on the right and I knew that people would be saved by parting it over there, i would do it. Or well, I should do it. Danny would even have trouble. You can comb yours or the wasp law. Isn't it amazing how we get so tied up in all these things, that the guy on the other side of the track who does things different than I do, he's going to be wrong. That's why we have Methodists and Baptists in Church of Christ, and even in the Baptist Church. You see, at one time we were all just Baptists. In the early history of our country we were Baptists. Then we divided into two Baptist groups over slavery. And we call ourselves the Northern Baptist because we're right on slavery, and the Southern Baptist because we want to keep slaves, and so we had two different bodies. Well, that wasn't enough. We still couldn't agree. And so there's some other groups that start pulling off, and you've got all the other associations of Baptist people who spend their time not dealing with what God's Word is, but all of these barriers that keep people separated. And as a consequence, the Corneliuses of the world never have the gospel preached to them because they're too brought up and confused about all of these things that seem to separate us that have no value in the long run. These two men finally got together, and Peter couldn't understand all this. No, sir, I'm not going to eat that. And God said, what I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. And so finally Peter went and And when, uh, here all this crowd was gathered around the house of Cornelius, and finally Peter stood in the midst after he'd heard the explanation from Cornelius, and Peter stood up and said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, that God loves everybody equally. A revelation to Peter, who thought he had been right all the time, and now discovers that there's another way of reaching people for Christ and a different group of people. The thing that sets up barriers is usually inside the person and not inside the gospel. Well, it is there. The gospel does not separate. We ought to love one another, in spite of our differences of opinion, and this is the one thing I want to say as a bottom line, it doesn't make any difference that we don't fully and completely agree on all of these things I've been talking about, as long as they don't keep us separated from each other so that unitedly we might proclaim the gospel of Christ. That's what's important. That together, we're bound by the tie of Jesus Christ. And we ought to break down the barriers that keep us from loving each other and serving together. Let's pray.